0: This morning, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke called the One and Friends, I have to tell you that the passage that we are looking at today encapsulates so many of the reasons that I am a lover and follower of Jesus. This is just one of those weeks where, I, as I read the passage over and over again, i just I just fell more and more in love with Christ. This is just vintage. Jesus stuff this morning. It's one of those times where where Christ resonates so deeply in me. He's challenging and he's encouraging and he's he's breaking through societal stereotypes and religious snobbery. And in this passage, we see Jesus revealing the good news of the kingdom in in such a splendid way that if you're here this morning and you're just checking out who Jesus is, you're going to get such a marvelous picture of why so many of us are just are just crazy about him. And so, so listen up, this is, this is amazing. Uh, this is called the one who offers the transforming power of forgiveness. Luke chapter seven, starting in verse 36. And I'm gonna do something a little different this morning. You can pull your Bibles out and turn there, but I'm gonna ask that for this opening segment when I read through the passage that you don't follow along with me, that maybe you just lay your Bible in your lap and, and take these words in. Just hear the story as Luke tells it. Maybe even close your eyes and open uh, your palms in your lap as a way of saying, Lord, I want to I hear from you today. I want to hear what you are saying uh, through, this, through this passage. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, come before you and we ask that this passage would not only strike our minds, but that it would penetrate our hearts. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and embed the truth of this story, this passage, your gospel, into us in a new, fresh way today. I pray that we will not leave unchanged, that we will not walk out of here the same as the way we came in. That is our prayer, Lord. Change us, renew us, shape us, mold us. And we prayed in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now as we dive into this this passage, let me share a few things with you that might help you uh, set the scene a bit more clearly in your minds because that is actually what Luke does right off the bat. He sets the scene. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We have to remember where Jesus is. He is in Galilee. He's traveling through this northern region of Israel that's filled with these very small Jewish towns. And as customary um, in Jesus' day, when a famous or well-known rabbi came to your town, you would most likely do Two things. A, you would have them speak at the synagogue, which Jesus did quite often. And B, you would invite them to a meal, which is what we see here in in our story this morning. This meal, it would be held in the home of a prominent local religious leader and other honored guests from around uh, the village would be invited to dine as well. But this would not be a private affair. Here's something that I think we sometimes miss. This would not be an event that was closed to the public. In fact, it would be quite the opposite. See, the doors of this home would actually be thrown open and people would crowd in. People from all over the village would crowd in around the perimeter of the room and even stand outside the open doors and windows just to listen in on what was happening, just to listen in on the conversation and hear the teaching and take part in hearing the theological debate that was sure to take place at this event. This would have been a very public moment and big, big news in small-town rural Galilee. And so now the meal has begun, the people have gathered, and Luke tells us they are reclined at the table. One thing we, we have to remember that is that in the ancient Near East... People did not eat like we do. They did not sit at chairs, um, sit in chairs at tables. Instead, they reclined. They laid, actually, propped up on their left sides with their feet not under the table, but pointed out away from the table. I, I dug up a, a, an image off the internet so you can ju- get just a sense um, for what it would have looked like. You can see how they're they're propped on their left arms, eating with their right, with their feet away from the table. And uh, the idea behind this was was very simply to keep the feet as far away from the food as possible. You have to remember, this is a world without pavement. This is a world where people wore sandals and walked everywhere, where the paths and roadways were not just used by humans, but also by their animals. And so without a whole lot of imagination, you can understand why feet may not have provided a welcomed and pleasant aroma at the meal. So they had their feet sort of pointed out backwards behind them, as far away from the food as possible. And this is the scene. A table in the middle of a Pharisee's house. Jesus and the other invited guests reclined around it with their feet sticking out and crowded around the room behind and beyond the feet are people from all over this Galilean village packed in to hear what this rabbi from Nazareth just might say or do next. Verse 37. And behold, the NIV actually doesn't include these words, but but they are there in the Greek. And behold, what Luke is saying is, check out what's going to happen next. Behold, verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and now you can understand how that all played out, right? She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, let's get real clear about what Luke is saying here when he tells us that this woman lived a sinful life. The Greek word that he uses to describe her here is the word for a person who is not just sort of an average run-of-the-mill sinner, not just someone who has some sin in their world. No, this is a word that describes a person for whom their sin is known. This word describes a person who is known for their sin. This is a person who is despised for their sin. This is a person whose entire reputation is tangled up in the sinful lifestyle they've embraced. Friends, this is a woman who is all tangled up in the sinful practice of selling her body for sex. And while this Pharisee's home was certainly open to the general public, you can bet that people like her were not welcomed so just imagine the tension now put yourself in the crowd put yourself in the room along the perimeter and just imagine the awkwardness just imagine the tension just imagine the whispers and looks and gasps when in the middle of this meal she slips in and begins to cry and weep and make a scene as she kisses his feet and wipe them with her hair and then there's the perfume. Perfume was just part of the trade of being a prostitute. It just came with the job. I mean, this makes sense, right? Just think about the advantage it would be to smell good if you were partaking in this line of work. Women in this culture, they would carry their perfume in containers that hung from a leather cord around their neck. And Luke tells us, that this woman's container, it's an alabaster container. This is the most valuable possession this woman owns for sure. An alabaster container was a very fine, refined kind of marble that was carved in Egypt. It was imported. This kind of container would have been filled with a very costly perfume, not the cheap, oily perfumes that some people had, but a very costly perfume. And again, this is one of the things that would have greatly enhanced her allure to men. This was something that made her more attractive and actually empowered her and enabled her to make money. You see, sometimes we think of this perfume as just some sort of expensive gift that she's splurred on. It's much more than that. This is something that defines her. This is something that defines her existence and her financial security and her reputation and her life. This container is a symbol of who she really is. And so friends, do you see what she's doing when she takes it, takes this jar and breaks it over Jesus' feet? She's saying, no longer this, but you, Lord, are now the most valuable thing in my life. She's saying, this lifestyle, this profession and reputation that used to define me, it no longer does. From this point forward, my life will be defined by you, Jesus. And here's the deal, friends. Every single one of us, every single person in this room has a little jar of something hanging around our necks. A little jar that defines us, that encapsulates us, that reveals our reputation or our security or our existence or our our identity. A little jar representing who we are and what we are ultimately living for in this world. And the question is, the question this woman begs for us to ask is, will you hold on to your jar... Or will you pour it on Jesus' feet? Will you continue to let your life be defined by your work or your kids or your stuff or your addictions or your abilities or successes or failures or popularity or past? Or are you ready, like this woman, to take off that thing that defines you and offer it to Jesus to make Him your everything? Because that's what this woman does. She takes this thing, this thing that has defined her life and existence and reputation, and she breaks it over Jesus' feet. And to go back to the scene again, you have to realize that this wasn't just a momentary thing. This isn't just a little blip in the middle of this evening. The verbs that Luke uses in this passage tell us, she won't quit. She won't stop. She just keeps on crying and kissing and wiping the feet of Jesus as the entire house party stands there stunned, awkwardly, not knowing what to do. And then there's this big question looming in the air. What will Simon do? He's the host. And furthermore, what will Jesus do? What will he say? How will he respond to this woman? Verse 39. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now, I notice in this part of the story how Luke goes out of his way to let us know that what the Pharisee is thinking here is kept to himself. See, this is not something that he says out loud. He doesn't mouth this across the table to a buddy. He doesn't whisper it to a neighbor and Jesus overhears. No. Secretly, to himself, this Pharisee accuses Jesus of not really knowing people. Of of not really understanding who people are in their relationship to God. And the irony of this story, the great sort of reversal and contrast, is this. Jesus actually understands people so well that he even knows what's happening in this guy's mind and heart. The very guy who thinks Jesus doesn't know people is actually more known by Jesus than he even knows himself. And that's another thing for us to consider this morning. The fact that God doesn't just see our externals. He doesn't He doesn't just He doesn't look at us and just see the reputations that we've spun, that we've sort of managed for ourselves. He he doesn't see the image management that we've so carefully orchestrated for everyone else to see. He does not look at us and see us the way other people see us or even the way we see ourselves. You see, Jesus sees deep into our minds. He knows our thoughts. He's tuned in to our secret desires and the internal motivations of our hearts so that even the things we hide from ourselves are revealed to Him. God knows us that deeply. And and here's another cool thing. I I wasn't necessarily going to bring this up, but I just could not bring myself to leave it out because I thought it was rad and I knew Matt would like it. Notice this. For the first time, it in this part of the story, Simon's name is used. Up until this point, when Luke tells this story, he's just a Pharisee, just some sort of random generic caricature, but now Luke is using his name. Now Jesus calls him by name, and Luke is showing us something. Luke is showing us that Jesus doesn't just know this woman, he knows Simon as well. Simon, Jesus, is saying, not only do I know her, I know you. Not only do I see her heart, but I see her heart too. And now what Simon will discover is that he is the one, not Jesus, who does not understand who the people in the room are in relation to God. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And by the way, a denarii represents about a day's wage. So one person in this story, one person in Jesus' parable here is about 50 days in the hole and the other is about 500 working days in the hole. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, here's what Jesus is saying to Simon. I think sometimes people get this wrong. Sometimes m- people miss the point of what Jesus is explaining to Simon here. Here's what he says. The problem with you, Simon, is this. You don't know how big your debt is. You don't know how big your debt is. Simon, the problem with your heart, the problem with your life, the problem with the way you respond to me is you look around and you look at other people and you think of yourself as a 50 denarii debtor when the truth is I really know you. I see your mind and thoughts and feelings and motivations. You see, you see yourself as a 50 denarii debtor, but the reality is, if you knew yourself the way I know you, you're much farther in the hole than you think you are. Your life, your sin, the debt you owe, it looks much more like this woman than you realize. In fact, Simon, the real difference between the two of you is simply this. She knows how much grace has been given her. You missed it. She sees the magnitude of her sin. You're blind to yours. She knows how much she's been forgiven. Simon, you don't. And now Jesus will tell Simon a story and reveal to him the transforming power of understanding the radical grace and forgiveness of God. Then he, then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Now, pause. I I want to remind you of something here. And honestly, I'm not sure why I think this is so important. But for me, this fact and remembering it adds something to the story. It adds a richness to it. It helps me really be there in the moment. And I have to ask you this question. During this entire exchange that Jesus is having here, where is Jesus? you remember where he is? Yeah, he's, he's reclined at the table. Jesus is still laying down. He's laying down through this whole story, friends. You know, he's been laying there. This is the point where I lay down. Thanks, Adam, for ruining my surprise. Um, he's laying there at the table, right? He's propped up on his left arm, eating with his right, interacting with people at the table. He's talking to Simon. He's been talking to Simon this whole time. Meanwhile, the woman kissing, weeping, rubbing his feet, breaking perfume over his feet, rubbing them with her hair. The entire time this is happening continues to go on through the entire story. And he's just talking to Simon, talking to Simon. But now, for the very first time, Jesus turns and he looks at this woman, but he's still talking to Simon. And he asks Simon this question. Simon, do you see this woman? And as he asks that question of Simon... He's asking that same question to everyone in the room. Do you see this woman? And is it weird if I just keep preaching by laying here? Does that make you uncomfortable? Because the first service was like, we can't listen anymore. If you're going to lay down, I'm just going to preach the rest of the sermon like this. It's creepy. It's creepy. Kind of like, get up, Pastor Dave. Okay. So Jesus, he. He turns and he addresses this woman, but he's not even talking to her. He's still just talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? People in the room, people of this town, do you see this woman? Have you ever seen her? Have you ever stopped to think about her life, her struggles, her situation, how she got there, how some of you men in this town promote the very business that she's in? Do you see this woman or do you just sit in judgment? Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And now here comes the main point. Here comes the punchline. Here's where Jesus is going to really dig in and say, here's the message I want you to, to receive and hold on to. Therefore, I tell you, listen up. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. We can tell she's been forgiven. You can tell she understands the forgiveness of God. Her reaction, her love for me reveals it. But whoever has been forgiven little loves a little. Friends, one thing I I can't help but notice in this story is that this woman, for as critical and crucial a role as she plays, she never speaks. Not one word comes from her mouth in this passage. She never says a thing. Why? Why? She doesn't have to. The way she acts, the way she behaves here, her response to Jesus says it all. The way she gives her time and emotions and possessions so fully to Him here speaks louder than any statement she could ever make. Church, here's the question. Don't miss this one. Does your response to Jesus... Demonstrate a heart that believes it has been forgiven little or lots. Does your response to Jesus demonstrate a heart that believes it has been forgiven little or lots? Not what do your words say, what does your life say? And I'm not talking about church attendance here. At the end of this story, Luke will actually give us a little prologue to to demonstrate one more time the point he's making here. I love this about Luke. Throughout his gospel, he's always inserting these little prologues, these little explanatory segments that sort of reinforce the point of Jesus' story or parable or message. And he does the same thing here. Right after this amazing story of God's life-transforming forgiveness, Luke adds these three verses. This is Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Luke says, after this, right after this amazing thing, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Do you think these women understand the magnitude of the debt that's been paid for them? They've been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. And listen to this closing remark. These women were helping to support them out of their own means in other words friends what Luke is saying is here are some other women here are some other folks whose lives were so radically impacted by Jesus that they started to give everything they have to him You see, this is not an isolated incident. This is not just one woman who responds this way to radical forgiveness. Luke says it should be everyone, the entire church. Anyone who starts to grasp the magnitude of God's grace in their life should respond this way by giving Him it all. And Friends, before I move on here, I want to be extremely clear about one thing. What I'm not saying, what Luke is not saying, is let's just work really hard to get more sold out. Let's just be more radical and intense and emotional. In fact, in this closing worship segment, let's just go crazy. Not the message. Because when you think about it, think about it this way. Of these two characters, the woman and Simon, Simon is actually the one who works harder at his religion. Simon is the one who by very definition uses extreme effort and discipline to try to be a more godly person. So do not fall into that trap because that's not what Jesus is asking for here. What Jesus communicates in this story is the need for us to embrace a deep understanding of our desperate need for God's forgiveness. Do you understand and see how much you need Him, how much your debt is, how much He's forgiven you? This is not religious effort or obligation. That's not what drives this woman's love. What drives her love in this story is the realization of how much Jesus has done for her. Do you know how much He's done for you today? Does your life flow out of that reality, out of that understanding of the great, enormous debt he's paid for you. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Now, here's what's genius. Jesus is phenomenal. he's, he's, He's a master. He just blows my mind all the time. In this moment, where he is teaching who people really are in relation to God, who Simon really is in relation to God, who this woman really is in relation to God, he will now turn the tables and tell them who he is in relation to God. And what he says here is simply this, Simon, while you were wrong about this woman, while you were wrong about yourself, you were actually right about me. I am no prophet. Instead, I am the one who can forgive sins and all the Jews know who can forgive sins but God alone. You see, friends, it's, it's real important when we come to God to know who we are, to know that we are fallen and broken and sinful, to understand that we are helpless, to fix our lives on our own, to comprehend our utter and desperate need for a Savior. But equally, if not more important, is is not just knowing who you are, but knowing who the Savior is. Knowing who the one is that you so desperately need. And Jesus simply says this as this story concludes. If you want to know who the one is who will pay your overwhelming debt, it's me. I'm the one, the one true living God right here in your midst. And now in verse 50, Jesus will close with these words. And this is perhaps my favorite verse of the entire thing. Verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. An amazing thing about This story, when you stop and think about it, is this. If you were to compare the lives and choices and experiences and reputations of these two people, of Simon and this woman, if you were to compare this Pharisee's life with the life of this prostitute, we would all agree that at face value, he should sleep more soundly at night than she should. He should have fewer regrets. He should have more peace and comfort and security in this life than her. And yet, at the end of this story... He doesn't. At the end of this passage, the one who walks away with the peace of God is not him, but her. You see, friends, we look for peace in so many places. We search for peace so often in our own righteousness and good works, our own accomplishments, our own sense of being good people. But that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, is that true, lasting, deep soul-cleansing peace only comes when we acknowledge our sin and then put our faith in the one who forgives it. And I have to ask you, is that you today? Are you one? Are you here this morning and you recognize that you have searched and sought and strived for peace in your life and you just can't find it? Are you a person here who just keeps on working to be good and successful with the hopes that someday you'll be good enough, that someday you'll reach the top of the mountain, that someday you'll finally find that peace that you're looking for? Friends, Jesus says, that's a dead-end road. You'll never find what you're looking for. That's like running a race on a treadmill. You're only going to exhaust yourself. Jesus tells us in this story, if you want to find true peace, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your, your need, and receive the free gift of forgiveness from God through trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because that is the only thing that will bring peace to your desperate heart, mind, and soul. Are you there today? Are you ready to lay it down? Are you ready to break it open? Are you ready to admit your sin and embrace the one who can save you from it? If you are, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And as we move into that time, let me just say this to you. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, if you sense God speaking to you this morning and calling you to himself, let me just implore, implore you, let me just beg you and ask you, do not pass up this chance. Do not miss the opportunity to go and move from death to life, to have peace with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. Friends, I am going to ask this. If you want to receive the free gift of God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus, be bold Be courageous. Don't let fear or doubt or confusion or insecurity hold you back from the one who loves you and knows your soul more than anyone in this world. If you want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior and forgiver today, just throw your hand in the air. Just right now. Just put it up. Hold it high. Don't be ashamed. Be bold. Be courageous. Just say, Lord, I need you and I want you. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you will acknowledge me before men, if you will acknowledge your need and your sinfulness and your desire and your longing and your utter dependence on me before men, I will acknowledge you in heaven before the angels. That's our Lord. Anyone else today just need to declare Christ for the first time as Lord and Savior. Put their faith and trust in him and receive forgiveness. All right, you can put your hands down. Maybe some in this room are here and you're just not ready yet. That's okay, but let me say this to you. Don't stop seeking Jesus. Don't stop searching for Him and discovering Him because friends, I tell you, there's nothing in this world like Him. It doesn't get any better than Him. He is it. Others here have been Christ followers for a long time, but let me say this to you. Maybe you found yourself sort of sliding and shifting towards an attitude of Simon. Maybe you've, you've, you've lost sight of just how big your debt is. Just how enormous the price that He paid for you was. Maybe you've, maybe you've forgotten that. And because of that, your life does not look like someone who's been forgiven lots but little. Friends, go back to the basics. Go back and look and search your heart and ask God to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, remind you and reveal to you just all that He's done for you. And then live from that place. Live from that place. You see, the promise of Scripture is not if we try real hard, God will love us. But if we understand the magnitude to which God does love us and forgive us, then living out of that, we will have and experience new life. That's the promise of God. That's the power of the church. People who have been forgiven by the grace of God and released, set free to be all that he longs for us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we we proclaim your name. I thank you, Lord, for this woman, for her unabashed, fearless, humble example of what it means to just receive you and embrace you. God, I pray for our church that we would learn from her, that you'd you'd strip the, the pharisaical attitudes out of our minds and hearts and that you would implant in us the mind and heart that we see in this woman, this desperate need for you. Do that in us, Lord. Do that through us. May you get all the glory, all the glory in your people, all the glory in this church. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.